So James chapter 2, 14 through 26, I'm going to read this for us. And then I'll ask the Lord to help us during our time. And then we will get into uh, his word. So James 2, 14, would you hear now the word of God? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of God. Let us go to him in prayer. Uh, Father God, Lord, we want to be a people that are known as your people. We want to be a people that uh, do not just offer lip service to you, but live lives that are in accordance with your word and who you've called us to be. So, Father, I ask that you would help us in this time, that we would learn the truths of your word, that you would apply them to our hearts by the power of your spirit. Father, I pray for each and every person that is here, regardless of how they may have entered here, would you change us and help us to leave here different than we walked in. Father, would you illuminate this text for us? And I ask simply what we know not you would teach us and what we are not you would make us. What we have not you would give us by your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So today we conclude the family value series by looking at our fourth and final value, deployment. CCF defines deployment as the Christian's call to gospel action in all areas of life, everywhere. In other words, we believe that those who profess to be Christian should live in a manner that supports their profession of faith. So if you say you're a Christian, then you should live as a Christian. It's pretty simple. See, all of our values, our four values as a church, are all intertwined. 
Together, they present a tapestry of what a local church should look like as we seek to remain faithful to who God has called us to be as his people. See, contrary to popular belief, the church is not an independent, rogue institution that gets to do whatever it wants. We have been called to something. God has given us instructions for who we are to be if we are to be faithful to him and to be known to the world as his people. See, as a church, we start with doctrine. That is our foundation. Uh, Everything that we do must be launched from sound doctrine, the right teaching of God's word. And then from that, we move to discipleship. Uh, Within the body of believers, we want to disciple one another. Uh, We must uh, live lives that are marked with discipleship, uh, learning how we follow Jesus, learning the teachings of Jesus, obeying Jesus, calling one another to be accountable to Jesus and to the church. And then from that, uh, we grow to be a devoted people, right? A people that grow in our love for God, and then that's shown in our love for one another. Uh, We are devoted. We commit to something. Uh, That's why we believe that church membership is important, that you're committed to a local body. You're you're known by a body of believers that, that know you, that hold you accountable, that text you, call you when you don't show up a couple Sundays in a row, not because we want to make sure that uh, you better get there. It's because we want to make sure that you're okay. We, We care. And that's how we are known within the local body of Christ. And so then the result of these, the result of doctrine, the result of discipleship and devotion is just naturally deployment. Uh, From these things, we are then sent, we are deployed for action. Another way to say it is that uh, deployment is our faith on display. It's our faith on display. See, deployment is how we show the world around us that our faith is real. It's how we show them that what we say is who we are. It's an external display of an internal change. Listen, we will not have perfection in this life. Let me make that clear. Okay, there was one perfect man. His name was Jesus, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people. Amen? There will never be anyone else that will live a perfect life. We are thousands of miles away from perfection, thousands, millions. We are born sinners. But that is not to say that we do not aim for a life of holiness. That is not to say that we do not set holiness as the bullseye to our lives and shoot towards that direction and say we want to be sanctified and made into the image of Christ. We're set apart. See, we live in a day of easy believism. Easy believism. And essentially, easy believism perpetuates the false idea that a person can be a Christian even if their activities and behaviors are not 
marked by obedience to Christ. It's like you can live however you want as long as you say you're a Christian. As long as you say you believe in the fundamentals of the gospel, you can just do whatever you want to do. I mean, that teaching is prevalent in the church today. Now listen, will we fail? Yes. Will we still sin? Definitely. Will everyone's journey look different? Absolutely. But the Bible teaches that genuine Christianity is not simply lip service. It is not simply saying that we believe in the truths of Scripture. When someone is truly converted, when they are saved, regenerated, when, when God takes the heart of stone and replaces it with a responsive heart of flesh, and we respond to the gospel message, and we proclaim then with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, if that profession is authentic, something happens. We're changed. We are called to live a different life. And true regeneration, true conversion produces a changed life. This is James's arguments in our text this morning. See, James is calling his reader to action. He is reminding his reader that the result of genuine faith is a life replete with good works. We will have good works as God's people. And I want to make three simple points under the simple heading, Deployment faith on display. First, genuine faith is more than an empty claim. Second, genuine faith is more than theological knowledge. Third, genuine faith is displayed by our actions. Let's look at the first point here. Genuine faith is more than an empty claim. Now, let me just go ahead and give you, uh, as usual, uh, my first point is usually my longest, and such is the case today, because we've got to get this right. So James starts his argument with two rhetorical questions. Uh, look at verse 14 with me. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, this passage and what's to follow has created much controversy and confusion over the years throughout church history. Uh, many people say that this is contradictory to what Paul teaches and what the Bible teaches that salvation is by faith and faith alone. Some have proposed that Primarily, the teachings of Paul are in direct opposition to what James is teaching here. Uh, they point out that Paul says specifically in Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, listen, we believe that someone is saved by faith and faith alone. Amen. I mean, we, we do not add anything to our salvation. See, justification in this terms is something that happens outside of us. 
It's a legal declaration that we are considered now justified before a holy and righteous God. We, we play no part in that. We do nothing to add to that. See, there's nothing that you and I or anyone else can do to earn salvation. You cannot do enough good works. You cannot do enough nice things. You cannot be the biggest giver. Your church attendance, your membership, nothing adds to your salvation other than faith. And what is faith? Well, faith, as described here, is belief and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We believe that Jesus Christ is our only hope. It is Christ and Christ alone that will save us. Or in theological terms, it is Christ and Christ alone in him that we are justified before God. Think of our catechism that we read earlier. Justification is our declared righteousness before God. I mean, it's very simple. And as a church, we believe that the only thing that can justify us before God is faith. Okay, let me just make that clear. This is what Paul teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. And it is only in faith. So how do we reconcile the words of James here that seem to say that we must have works as well as our faith to be justified. So in order to rightly understand these texts, we must look at the argument that each author is making. Okay, we, we must look at the problem that each one of these authors is actually addressing here. In the case of Paul, he is addressing the question, how can one be saved? Or in other terms, how can one get into the family of God? Like, how do they become a part of the family of God? Paul has in mind those who are denying the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. His audience would have been those that think that they must also keep the law in order to be saved. And, and Paul is saying, no, that is not the case here. There's nothing that you add to the gospel in order to become a participant in the family of God. It is God's work. James, on the other hand, is talking to those who claim to be Christians. See, they're saying, we're in. We are Christians. He's addressing the question, how does someone show that they are saved. In other words, how does someone justify the claim that they are a Christian? Let me give you an example. If I say I know how to swim and you have never seen me swim, the only way for me to justify my claim to knowing how to swim is by getting in the water and showing you my ability to swim and not die. Uh, I remember one time, and maybe you know somebody that has claimed to know how to swim. I remember I was a child one time, and uh, we were at a friend's house, and uh, there were a bunch of people playing and having a good time, and we were jumping off the diving board. I knew how to swim, and everyone there, most everyone there, rather, 
uh, knew how to swim as well. And there was one person that had said, yeah, we know how to swim. And they jumped off the diving board. And that was a bad idea. Down, right? Arms flailing and going crazy. Someone had to jump in and save that little joker. Okay? Because you know what? His, his ability to swim was not, in fact, an actual truth. Okay? He, he, his claim did not actually meet his abilities. He did not know how to swim. And in the same way, as his claim was not justified because his actions did not support him, this is what James is arguing here. Look at the language that he uses. Look back at verse 14. He says, if someone says, you got to underline that. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? See, James tells us that it's not simply enough to say that we are Christians. It's not good enough to just make the claim if there is nothing that supports that claim. So reconciling Paul and James on this matter is is fairly easy. See, Paul expounds on the way of justification, and James expounds on the life of the justified. James provides an illustration here in verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, uh, basically this means like they're, they're cold and hungry. Like they, they need something. They need some tangible means to actually get them to a better position in their life. And he says, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, he asked the question, what good is that? And we all know the answer, it's no good. I mean, he uses this term here, right? The brother and or sister. I mean, this is especially uh, speaking to those within the church. Like if we see that somebody here within the body of believers is in need, we talked about this last week, what should our response be? We should do whatever we can to help meet those needs. We should answer their need and show them that we care. We show them that we love them. We show them that we are Christ. How will the world know that you are my disciples? By your love for one another. This is Jesus' words. This is James' argument here. He's saying here, you will show these things. He will do these things. I mean, remember what John reminds us in 1 John 3.18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither with the tongue, but in deed and truth. Essentially, another reminder here that says it's not only lip service. We cannot get away with just making a claim here. And then... James here reiterates a summary of his argument here in verse 17. He says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
dead. I mean, that's a, a pretty straightforward proposition there. It's a pretty straightforward uh, reasoning that says if we do not have works that accompany our faith, our profession, it's dead. It's useless. Uh, the reformers are quoted uh, for saying different people have been credited with it. I'll give it to them all. It's spread. But I quote, they say, it is faith alone that saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. So yes and amen, faith saves us. Belief in Christ. If you are here and you are not a Christian, then you lay down your rebellion, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ. Have faith that he and he alone can save. That is your only hope. That's it. But those that call themselves Christians, we must examine ourselves and see, does my life align with my profession? Does it align? Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 real quick. I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll look at uh, verse 8. <clears throat> so here's Paul, right? And here's just to kind of conclude uh, this point and just to make sure that we all understand that James and Paul are not in contradiction uh, to one another here. I mean, here's Paul's words here in Ephesians chapter 2, start in verse 8 here, and we'll go down to verse 10. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Yes and amen, right? And, and what? And this is not your own doing. Praise be to God. It is the gift of God. It's his gift. Not a result of what? Works. So, so we didn't do anything. We don't add anything to it. So that what? He gives us the reason. Nobody can boast. Hey, listen, we're all a bunch of boastful people, aren't we? We do something right, and look what I did. Hey, did you see how I loaded the dishwasher today, wife, right? Uh, did you see how I did these things? You see how good I mowed that yard? I'm just talking to myself here. So <laughs> he goes on. Verse 10, here's why. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. We're created, we're saved for something. He's called us to something, friends. He's called us to live differently, to, to be a model of what a Christian life should look like. And he says that these works were prepared, what? Beforehand, before we were ever born, before the foundations of the earth, he created good works for us that we should walk in them. I mean, listen, if you're a Christian, anything good you do, you can't take credit for anyway because it was created, it was planned before the foundations of the earth. See, God had in mind what you would do before you ever started to do them. You didn't figure out the, the greatest scheme and the greatest way to then show the world. No, you're just following to what God has called you to do if you're a Christian. I mean, listen, 
We must remember that we are saved, and we are saved for good works. That is good news. See, there are many, unfortunately, that look back to a one-time profession of faith or a raising of the hand and walking the aisle, and someone said, hey, if you say this prayer with me, you don't ever have to worry about anything ever again, and you are good. And then what happens is that they leave that space, that experience, and they go on and live a sinful life that is not marked by any good works, not marked by any change, not marked by anything different. And they say, oh, well, remember, I got my get out of hell free card back then when I said the prayer. We have these conversations over and over again in members' interviews where people that were, were when they were specifically younger, they say, yeah, you know, I, I said the prayer and I didn't really know what it meant. And, and then I, I went on and I, I lived a life that was full of rebellion and I, there was no change in my heart. And then it wasn't until later when I was a teenager or maybe in my college years or even later in adulthood that I actually realized, wait a second, there's a change now. And then that's the moment that people actually say, that's when I was changed. But so many folks are unfortunately led to believe a lie and led to believe there's some magic combination of words, some magic prayer that is nowhere in Scripture and says, this is your ticket to God. And what James is arguing here is that in order to know that we are God's people, our lives will be marked by radical life change. Once again, this happens differently for everyone. Okay? Sanctification is more like a heart monitor, right? It's not a, a climbing a Tesla stock, right? It's not just going up. It's, it's up and down, and it's hard, and it's work. But that's the Christian life. We're saved for something. We work towards that. Second point of observation here is that genuine faith is more than theological knowledge. It's more than theological knowledge. Look at verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So James brings in a, a straw man here, right? Someone that's, that's arguing here with him. He kind of uh, pre presents this antagonist that would be kind of speaking again in opposition to what he has just said. Paul does this often, right? Oh, may, you might say, and then he'll say, but this. That's exactly what James is doing. And what he says that he brings in this real good theological uh, proposition for them to see. He says in 19, you believe that God is one, right? You believe this? Well, you do well. He goes on and says, even the demons believe and they shudder. Now, I want us to stop right there and look at what he is saying. So he doesn't say that, yeah, they understand all the truths. 
he says they actually respond. They respond in fear and trembling because they know what's to come. They shudder. They understand who God is. They, they understand that, that God is, is powerful, is sovereign, is almighty, understands the truth of theology. One commentator puts it like this. He says, if knowing the right things is your claim to Christianity, then you have then you a companion, an accomplice, and that is the demons themselves. The literal meaning of the Greek word for tremble is to be rough, to bristle. It then comes to mean to shudder with fear, suggesting the hair standing on end, end quote. So let me just speak to my brothers, sisters, especially in the Reformed camp. We often, we, we bank our salvation on what we know about God. I mean, there's so many that know systematic theology, the ins and outs, the biblical theology, can explain justification by faith, can explain propitiation, can, pro, can explain substitutionary atonement better than I can. But their lives show no fruits of true belief. Their lives show absolutely no product of regeneration. It's all here. It's all head knowledge. It's not a heart posture. They do nothing with their hands. They're lazy. They won't work. They won't do anything. They sit around and get fat, bloated on their knowledge. And it never then turns to an actual posture of life change for the glory of God and the good of his people. Brothers, we, we get caught up in that. Get caught up in that camp, in that idea that knowing more is the greatest good, and that is the means to our end. But listen, we know more so we can show more. So we can do more. So we can be more of who God has called us to be. I said this before, right? We, we know more of God, so we in turn love God more. Not just so we can boast in our accomplishments. We want to know him and love him. And listen, our, our behavior and our, our status here, it, it doesn't change the fact that we're justified just in the way that when I'm married to my wife, when, when I married her, we, we got a declaration. We're, we're now married. I don't always treat her perfectly. I know that's a surprise, but I don't. There's things that I do. There's things that I need to change. And it never changes our status that, that we are married But I do, in turn, I want to love her better because we are married. See, see, that position, just as our position in Christ, should propel us to want to live lives that are different, that he's called us to something different. He has saved us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I know how wretched I am. I know the depravity of my sin. I know what I deserve. 
See, so many in the church today think that they did God a favor when they said yes to God. They think, oh, God, aren't you lucky to have me? Look at how good I am. Look at how great I do. Man, you're lucky to have me, Lord. What James is saying here is that, listen, we can't have head knowledge alone. Head knowledge alone cannot save us. It's not just that. That is the beginning. We, we must come to know God. Then we respond to God. He changes us. He makes us different. And that is the true testing of our faith, brothers and sisters. What does your life look like? Are you making war on sin? Are you serving those around you? Are you sharing the love of Christ, evangelizing to those whom you know are lost? And listen, if you're not doing those things, let me assure you, based on the authority of Scripture, you need to check and see if your profession of faith is legitimate. You must check that. Head knowledge alone cannot save us. Third, finally, we see here that genuine faith is actually displayed by our actions. It's displayed in how we live, what we do. That is the, the external evidence of the internal claim here. He gives us two examples here. First, we get the Jewish patriarch, Abraham, and then we get a Gentile prostitute, Rahab. Look at verse 20 with me. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? I mean, James is he's not holding back any punches here. That faith apart from works is useless. Then here we get the Example here, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And then he says in 22, You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed, what? By his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, let's explain here what's going on. Once again, let's put Paul and James together here, okay? Because, once again, people often say that, well, here we go. Uh, he just said again that it's, it's faith and works that justifies a person. But here's what's happening here, and here's what we need to see. In the case of Abraham, Paul and James are in great agreement. They, they specifically say the same thing in different ways. But Paul refers to the events recorded in Genesis chapter 15 when he talks about Abraham and how he believed 
and it was accounted to him. So he made a profession. He has belief. He says, I I believe that God's promises are true. And then James appeals to Genesis 22, which is about 40 years later. And he says, and then what he did actually showed that that profession was true when he went to offer his son because God called him to do that. Now, we all know that what that was was a sign that God would then deliver the ultimate redeemer uh, when he actually tells Abraham, hey, do not kill your son. And he, he gives him then the offering that would take his son's place. That was a picture of Christ to come. And what James is using here is he uses the great Abraham, the father of the faith, And he's saying here, Abraham himself was justified. His claim of belief was justified by his actions when he did that. See, Abraham in this time obviously was a big deal. It was very known in the Jewish community. Look to Abraham to say, Well, this is the the model, the the father of our faith. And so here, James pulls from that to speak to his Jewish audience. But he's also speaking to Gentiles as well. And he speaks here and uses Rahab, the prostitute, in verse 25. He says that in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now, why does he make reference to her status and her uh, occupation then? Because I believe he's showing, once again, it does not matter what you've done. It does not matter what your past is. Anyone can be saved. It does not matter what your background does not matter how, how checkered your past is with whatever sins they may be. Listen to me, friends. God saves through Christ. It is him and him alone. And, and here James brings to the attention of his reader Rahab, who, who, what did she do? She risked her life by hiding God's people and then delivering them, helping them to Make way from harm's danger. It is a very specific term here. He's showing here. Listen, it does not matter who you are, Jew, Gentile. You can be saved, but then you are shown to be saved in what you do. Here, we see that Rahab justified her claim by doing what she said she believed. You can look at that story in Joshua chapter 2, specifically maybe later in your reading. So here's a question for us all. Do your actions, do your actions, does your life, Does it confirm your claim? Are you living a life marked by obedience, marked with trusting 
in God, believing the promises of Scripture. I mean, is your life, someone were to look at it, would they say, this person is different? See, justification is the root of our salvation, and our works are the fruit. You can't see a root unless you pull it up. We can't see the claims unless we show the claims, brothers and sisters. We must live in accordance to what God has called us to be. James closes in verse 26 by saying, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And he closes this section by simply saying that faith without works is like a dead body, useless, of no good. Stinks. It's worthless. So what is your life right now? How are you living? I mean, how are you going into the world, sharing the gospel? How are you making Jesus known in your home, in your community, your nation, and the world? I mean, what are we doing? We're about to send out some missionaries to Hungary in a couple of weeks. Grant and Ray's Dix and baby Sullivan will be leaving us, unfortunately, but for good reasons, to go share the gospel. And it's been amazing to see this church come together and provide all of their financial needs in order for them to go. I mean, for a church our size to give the percentage of their giving, their, their needs, their finances, is just evidence of God's work in and through you. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And listen, we will, we will go. We will visit them. We will send teams. We will support them. We will pray for them. We will get updates from them. And that's one way as a church we want to show the world around us that, man, we'll, we'll send our best. Lord willing, we will be planting churches in the future. Uh, many of you may go with a church planter here in this congregation. We want to show, we want to train up pastors, teach them what a biblical elder looks like, how to properly handle God's word, how to properly shepherd God's people, and then get out of here. Go. Plant churches. Make the gospel known. I mean, corporately, that's how we want to do these things. We want to be very evident in our work at the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. We partner with them, we serve them, we help them financially, 
but also there's many of you that serve in many ways there. If, if you're looking for ways to get involved with the Pregnancy Center and, and help to save the lives of the unborn, please come see me. Help you to get plugged in. But if you're asking, like, well, what else can I do? Well, start in your home. Start in your home. I mean, does your family, do they consider your life a life that's marked by obedience to Christ? Do they consider you as being a, a, a true Christian or someone that kind of skates the line and, and kind of toes the line and, and, and sits on the fence, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. What does your life look like? I mean, when you're alone, what's your life marked by? One of the great Puritans once said that a man is no better than who he is when he's alone. And that's a scary thought, even for me getting my own head and being still and quiet is one of the hardest things to do. Confessing to the Lord, that's why we practice it together when we're here on Sundays. If you didn't know why we do that, that's part of the reason we do that together is to help build those rhythms in our life that says we need to take time to confess to the Lord, confess our sins, and come to him through Christ trusting that he's forgiven us in him and continue to give praise to the king who has paid our debt and then ask God to help us to live in a manner that is worthy of the call to which we have been called as his people. Starting your home. What about in the church? I mean, how are you serving those around you? As a church, we're not in the 80-20 rule, and which means 20 people do 80% of the work. But, man, we're getting close. Are you serving the body of Christ? Are, are you serving and helping? You know, we, every Sunday, hey, let's, we need help with teardown. We need help with setup. We need help with hospitality. We need help with child care. We, we over and over say these things, but let me tell you, we shouldn't have to. We should have a people committed to serving and making, meeting the needs of this body in order to create avenues of gospel proclamation. Are you serving your brothers and sisters? Are you sharing meals? Are you answering the call for the meal train for the families that have lost someone or have added new additions? Are you praying for the church body? I mean, what is your life marked by when it comes to your engagement with the local church? Maybe you're just popping up on Sundays consuming. Let me encourage you, that's not what we're called to do as God's people. We're called to action. We're called to live. Your community, what are you doing in your community? How are you serving your neighbors, the people on your hall, those that you have the opportunity, a unique ability to minister to that may never walk down those stairs? 
It's not get them here so we can proclaim the gospel to them. It's we'll equip you to go and preach the gospel. Church, we're called to live on mission. We're called to be a people that goes out and heralds the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that those that have been called, the elect, will come out will respond to that great gospel call. Their hearts will be regenerated. And they will then be identified as God's people. Not just by word, but by deed. See, we all live in accordance. We must live in accordance to where we've been placed. As Christians, we are deployed to live lives that are marked by good works. The elders of this church, we want this church to be strong doctrinally. We want this church body to be dedicated to discipleship. We want this church body to be devoted to God and to one another. And we want this church body to be committed to deployment, both individually and corporately. So brothers and sisters, let us pray to that end. Let us continue to remember our values as a church, not as some unique, abstract idea of relativism, not as some pragmatic way of of trying to bring people in and sound trendy and catchy, but of just saying this is a way to summarize God's word and his design for the local church. So let's get busy. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness and your mercy towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know Christ as Lord, does not follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God, would you save them? Would you work in and through the preaching in and through community, in and through the prayers. And Lord, help them. Draw them, Lord. Show your mercy. Father, for those that call themselves Christians, Lord, I pray and I ask God that you would just propel us towards good works. Lord, would you make us known to the world around us as your people, that we would be a people marked off, shown as your people by how we live, how we talk. Father, for our private lives, I ask God that you would just work in and through the power of your spirit, through our time of devotion and prayer, that each member of this church body, God, would, would grow in holiness, that we would strive to live lives that are like Christ. Father, would you do it? Would you help us, God? We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he has paid the debt that we owed. He lived the life that we could not live. And in him, we are declared righteous. So we come to you through his name. 
Amen.